This is HPR episode 1699 entitled FODSIM 2015 part 3 of 5 and is part of the series interviews. It is hosted by Ken Fallon and is about 48 minutes long. The summary is Wikimedia, Hack the Knit, Jitsi, XMMP, Colab, Dowd Linux. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. I'm here at the Wikimedia, but you have Wikidata, and I'm talking to? Uh, yeah, my name is Kim Jill. I work at the Wikimedia Foundation. Okay. And can you tell us a little bit about Wikimedia, what it is, and why you're here? Well, Wikimedia is the organization, it's the movement that takes care of Wikipedia and all the sister projects. That's more than 800 different uh, wikis. And we also have a well basically free knowledge uh, the, you know this is this is uh, our, our job to, to distribute free knowledge for everybody so you're the uh, software that's behind Wikipedia I guess uh, we take care of the software that is behind Wikipedia we take care of Wikipedia itself As well? uh, yeah basically yeah so we, we are the organization that try to uh, help editors bringing whatever they need uh, communicating to the world what's Wikipedia what is our mission uh, defending editors when someone wants to sue them uh, whatever it's needed you know that's that's why we exist and you also help with development of the software and running of the servers as well yeah so uh, we are the main developers of MediaWiki and the main extensions that that provide all the functionality you can find in in uh, Wikipedia uh, also, there's there's more than that. So we, there's also the software for running Wikidata, Wiktionary, uh, Wikimedia Commons. Also, like the Wikipedia app for Android, iOS. There's a, we are literally running uh, hundreds of software projects. Okay, very good. And are you are you aware of what the infrastructure behind Wikipedia is? Well, we maintain that. So yes, we are aware. We maintain that. Could you share a little overview with our audience of what that takes? What what that involves? Well, so we run everything on our own data centers because uh, we want to uh, assure to our readers and to our editors that that you know that we take care of that data and with the integrity of that data. And this means that we have different data centers in different parts of the world, and we take care of literally everything uh, from the operative system of the boxes, all the all the caching, um, all the load balance, like everything. Basically, we have if, if Wikipedia goes down, it's our fault, and and it's our job to bring it up. The the size of this project uh, is phenomenal. They even on the Google Ads where they're pushing Google services, when they type into Google, the first three hits I've noticed on all of them have been Wikipedia entries. Did you notice that? Uh, well, of course we noticed that. 
Um, I think that's a combination of two factors. One factor is that Wikipedia is popular, and this should bring, I don't know, I'm not the one who wrote the algorithm that Google is using, but apparently that helps. But also it's because, well, uh, Google knows what people are looking for, and, and basically for at least the type of searches that you're searching for some term, probably what you want to know it's in the first paragraph of a Wikipedia page and the image is there and etc so basically yeah they, they use the data uh, we produce free data for everybody so they are perfectly uh, uh, I mean they, they can do that and we are happy that they do that so yeah I guess that's the, that's the reason why very good um, and what do you, what's your purpose for being here t this week well first them is the is the main event for free software free knowledge lovers and we want to contribute a little bit a little bit to, to all this big party uh, we are big uh, as you, you said before we are a big open source project there's about 500 regular contributors and, and even more you know sporadic but also uh, we, we really connect free software with free knowledge open data I mean for us it's, it's all part of the same you know the same concept so I, I can actually go and download um, uh, the Wikipedia database and store it on my own machine if I wanted. We have the data and the documentation, so you could clone entirely. You could clone English Wikipedia right now if you have the time and, and the willingness to do that. And I could also do that for the images and all that other stuff. You can do uh, uh, yes. So we we offer we offer data dumps. Uh, I mean, ba basically, it's it just depends on on, on your on your bandwidth and your servers. Paranoia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And whatever, you know, but technically there's no impediment for you to fork the whole Wikimedia installation. Uh, everything is free and, and we have instructions to do whatever you want to do. I guess there you have, like, for people who want to help out, there's... Um, anybody can start by just editing a page and uh, it's as simple as that. Do you... Do you find it hard to get people to just go and make that first edit? Well, yes, it is. Uh, it is, especially. I, so I think I think in the earlier days, people was more aware of Wikipedia, something that didn't exist before, yeah. and something that was made by people, and something that needs the help of the people. Uh, still, there's a lot of people that still are aware of this, but actually, uh, for a lot of well younger generations. Uh, you know, Wikipedia is there. It was always there. It's useful. I don't know. They, they have a different concept. It's very interesting. And, and actually, the, while while the use of of uh, Wikimedia projects keeps growing steadily, actually the the line of contributions is more flat. Yeah. So this is we are this is a, a problem we are we are looking at. It has many different implications. It has to do I don't know that people using now more mobile than desktop, yeah. etc. etc. So yes, we were looking at. This is actually one of the main priorities of the Wikimedia, of the Wikimedia Foundation, seeing how we can uh, increase and diversify the, the ways that people can contribute. Yeah, we have a problem with HPR because we have this thing, if you listen to HPR, you're supposed to contribute to show. So now there's two side effects, meaning as soon as somebody contributes to show, we can't make a Wikipedia page about HPR. So we have no page on, on, uh, H, on Wikipedia about HPR. But... Um, what I've seen a lot in the past is some of our sister podcasts have been taken down because they're not novel enough. Can you can you tell us what the uniqueness requirements are and why they're there? I don't and, understand the question. Well, when you put up a um, a article about something and. 
then the article gets taken down because it's not uh, considered to be important enough to be uh, to be maintained. What happens to those articles? Are they archived somewhere? Is there like Wikipedia deleted art place that I can get those interesting articles? Okay, well, so okay, technically, when an article is deleted, can be undeleted, so it's not completely destroyed. Yeah. Um, but the, the interesting part of the question is why pages get deleted, and and actually. There's this concept of, of uh, relevance, yeah. and you have to put things in context. So there's, everybody wants to have a page in Wikipedia, and this goes from whatever, your neighbor, yeah, yeah. Uh, from companies. And there's a lot of pressure to bring irrelevant or biased commercial information there. And, well, you know, editors, we, they, they, they are just humans. Uh, so it is, it is a bit of a problem. But actually, usually it's also a matter of, of people not knowing what are the principles of Wikipedia. Uh, so, for instance, if an article is well-sourced uh, with, you know, third-party sources just saying Hacker News is great or, I don't know, something that it's not just I write this article yeah. and it's great, then it has a lot more better chances to, to just stay, stay up. Uh, also, like, Wikipedia has... In, and that's also a project, a problem, especially in the few big projects, you know, English Wikipedia, German Wikipedia... It is less of a project in, in smaller uh, Wikipedias, just for the reason that there's also less pressure to get biased information, etc., yeah. etc. So uh, English Wikipedia, for instance, has a, has a stage area uh, where you can uh, write a draft and then you will get uh, advice from experienced editors uh, telling you, hey, well, you know, you might want to source this information because you're claiming this, but, I mean... Is there is, is, is it true? Is yeah. it true? Is yeah. some, I mean, true. True is you know, but yeah. is, is is there a newspaper or another website or someone that actually uh, can just you know, that, that you can check that this is actually referenced and is said by someone else? And I think that actually, if you do a bit of the homework of what editors expect, the chances that a licit uh, piece of content stays in Wikipedia they are a lot higher. Yeah. Okay. Um, how do you? There's no advertisements on Wikipedia at all. How do you uh, pay for yourselves? Everything, absolutely everything, relies on five to twenty dollar euro donations from thousands of people in different countries. Uh, we have some major donors, so there's some companies or some public institutions that that they 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 bring more money. But really, we don't rely on them at all. Uh, we do rely on those thousands of people. And in the day those thousands of people uh, find that it's not worth uh, giving a donation to Wikipedia, then we are in trouble. Yeah. Do you find that uh, content delivery networks start caching your stuff? Or is that something that you... Uh, you know, uh, our mission is to bring free knowledge for everybody. So we are happy when anybody just uh, takes our information and brings it forward. Of course, we we prefer when people respect the license and at least they yeah, yeah. they have the credit that this comes from Wikipedia. I think it's everybody's interest uh, to note that because, of course, the information. Yeah, this is this is how we get the source alive and and you know and updated. But you know that's we're doing the work. The, the work that we're doing is exactly for others to reuse it, expand it, uh, do whatever they want with it. Cool stuff. Are you going to be giving talks here, or are, uh, are you stuck here in the booth the whole day? <laughs> I'm quite stuck in the booth, but actually, no. Uh, tomorrow, I'm giving a session with Andre Klapper. Uh, we are going to explain uh, our experience moving from Bugzilla to Fabricator. Oh, okay. Seven, 73, 
73,000 uh, bucks moved to a new project. We are going to explain why we did that, how it went, and why the community didn't cut our heads. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, if I can find it, I'll put a link into the show notes, and if not, people can just go to the FOSDEM site and find that uh, video will be on there. Thank you very much for... Thank you very much for this. It is one of the... Uh, is one of the projects that gives me restores my faith in humanity. And uh, yeah. if you're not a contributor, restoring, to my case, restoring it's like a bit too much, but yeah, it gives me a bit more hope at least. Yeah. Um, if you're not a contributor like I am to uh, Wikipedia, please consider doing it. It's relatively painless. What's your project called? Our project is called IAP. All yarns are beautiful. Okay, and I see here a knitting machine. Yeah, it's an old knitting machine from the 70s and early 80s. Um, they got produced till the middle of the 90s. Okay, and who are you guys? What's your names? Uh, my name is Ernst, and I'm a hacker from Munich, from the Kaiserwitter Club in Munich. And you are? My name is Chris, I'm also from Munich, and yeah, we started this project two years ago, and... Uh, got pretty popular and so we are here in, in Brussels and, and show it to the people yeah so it's a it's can, I'm gonna have photos in the show notes so you've got uh, different colors of yarn and it goes over and back and you can basically knit a scarf or something okay and then on top of that I see some sort of electronic device what's that yeah. um, originally the machine worked with a uh, kind of punch card or miler sheets in which you can draw your picture on it and put in a very easy scanner unit and um, what we did we replaced the whole electronics of the machine uh, with an Arduino and um, a custom shield to control the machine and now you can plug it in with your uh, on a, a USB and knit any picture you want with two or up to four colors. All right, so you take a picture and you digitize the picture and it decides which type of yarn is going to be uh, woven. Yeah, uh, each pixel is one stitch and uh, you can choose a color, you can use any color you want and yeah, you can knit any black and white picture or whatever to a scarf, shirt... Hello, what do you want? And uh, you need to go, over, so you still need to do the over and back thing, unfortunately. Yeah, you have to move the carriage uh, left to right by your hand. Uh, but what we do is you set, we set automatically the needles to the right position so the, the right color is chosen. Ah, fantastic. And what, who decided that you would do this? Where did the idea come from? And the idea was from, yeah, um, was about two years ago, um, some friend of us, they started knitting by hand, any hats and whatever, and then we started knitting a bit, but it really didn't work out, and so we thought about, hey, that must be any kind of automatized. Um, yeah, then we came to this old machines, and then we found some similar hacks from a newer one of the machines, and we, and we found this cheapest one because of the lack of the scanner unit. Yeah, and then we started. We thought to reverse engineer it, and yeah. Now it works. So, what sort of licenses is covered by this? I can't even imagine to uh, to guess. Um, our software and the Arduino Shield is completely free and open. Under the what license? The software is GPL, GPL. yeah, and uh, open hardware license or what? Yeah. Okay, and I can just go to the website and download that and build that. You can download uh, everything we have. Uh, uh, 
couple of materials on it, what you need, whereas the software is completely, it's written uh, mostly in Python, and uh, Arduino software is written in C. Yeah. When you can produce by yourself, or if you're not able to solder it, we have a, we produced a small batch by hand where you yeah. can buy it for small money. Yeah, I, I, we've already done shows on how to solder here, so uh, that should be no problem. And uh, how much is the device itself usually? Where would you pick them up? Yeah, you can find it on eBay or on some local small stores who repair them, and you get these machines in a good shape between 200 and 300 euros. Okay. And then you can, they're about a meter wide, so you could do jumpers. Uh, so what have people hacked already? Uh, it's about, um, you can uh, knit about uh, 200 stitches yeah. on it, and the length is infinite. So Excellent. So you could make like a big banner in... The uh, on the Case Communication Congress uh, in December last year, we made a, a, a rail warmer for... Uh, for the stairs, and yeah. it was about, I don't know, 10, 11 meters long. Yeah. <laughs> about uh, 3,000 or 4,000 lines of knitting, but it was done in like a half an hour or something. Oh, that's not too bad, it's not too bad. And um, there seems to be an awful lot of interest in it here. Has, uh, has many people done their own projects? I'm sorry? Has, has, have you found that other people have taken this and contributed back code? Yeah, it's, uh, we have some um, hacker spaces in Germany have a machine. We have some people uh, from from all over the world who uh, adapted our hack to their machines. And it uh, works fine for everyone and many people are happy with it. Okay, guys, thank you very much for the interview and good luck with the, uh, with the next hack. I've made my way over to the Libre Graphics, and I'm talking to Ginger Koontz. And we spoke last year, I believe. Sorry, say again. We spoke last year, so what has happened? What's new and improved in the Libre? First of all, tell us what the Libre Graphics is for people who haven't listened to last year's show. Yeah, absolutely. So Libre Graphics magazine is a publication. We've been around for five years now, actually, which is terrifying. Uh, and we're devoted to showcasing really good art and design work done with free and open source software. 100% free and open source software. With the exception of the firmware on our cameras, which we need to fix. Ah, yes. So, But I heard from the Linux format guys that it wasn't possible to do a 100% Libra graphic magazine. So you couldn't possibly be doing this 100% in open source software. Dig, dig. Mm, I love the way you say that. Uh, well, we exactly exist for that purpose because we heard that for years. We all went to design school, we all have backgrounds in graphic design, and forever people have been saying, both on the free software side and on the design side, it's not possible to do professional quality work in graphic design with free and open source software. So we proved that wrong. So, it's... When you're going to the printers, do you not get any kickback that you're that you're presenting in weird formats that they're not you're not compatible that uh, the whole world is going to end that you'll ruin their printing presses? We give them a PDF, and they're perfectly happy. And there's no no issue with this. You know, we have a very good relationship with our printer. Uh, we print in Portugal at uh, what's the name of our printer? Uh, <laughs> it's called Cromotema, and they love uh, our PDFs. They love your PDFs. So it is possible to produce a Libre Graphics magazine. How has the sales of your magazine been doing? 
pretty decent so far. Um, we've sold quite a few of the issue we had out last year, which is Gendering Floss. Still a hot seller. And we have a new issue that is doing very nicely. And it's uh, you produce one magazine a year, is it? <laughs> no, we're supposed to be quarterly. Uh-huh. We're not doing very well on that count. So our long-suffering subscribers put up with the fact that our quarterly magazine comes out maybe twice a year if we're lucky. Okay. But uh, we try to be faster, you know. Life gets in the way. It is a hobby for yes, all of us. Yeah, yeah. So it's got the problem of all good free software projects, which is, you know, it, uh, it's slow. So, no, all, all messing aside, then, if, if the guys from... Uh, from the podcast who have released a magazine who I can't remember now were to get in touch with you would you be able to offer support to them or advice uh, advice definitely support probably not <laughs> we're terrible at supporting the things we already do yeah. you know we all have too many jobs uh-huh. but uh, advice we absolutely could okay fantastic it was great to see you here and again the quality of your graphics is absolutely fantastic and I look forward to talking to you next year thanks very much we do too alright bye I've just moved up to the top of the K building here at FOSTEM 2015, and I'm talking to... Ingo. Full name? Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> Ingo Bowersacks from Jitsi.org. And what is Jitsi.org for the people who didn't listen to the interview last year? Uh, well, we have basically two projects. We have a desktop client for secure audio and video calls and chatting, and uh, our second leg is WebRTC video conferences. And uh, so, I guess a Skype version would that be? Close to the mark? The desktop client is basically a replacement for Gaip, but uh, a replacement that you can trust because it's open source and uh, the calls are end-to-end encrypted, so uh, you can be guaranteed that nobody listens in. Okay, so uh, what do I need to have in place in order for this thing to work if we wanted to have a Skype conversation? Uh, you need to install the client, uh, and uh, you need to have either a SIP account somewhere or um, an XMPP account, um, say, uh, for example, that our demo server, uh, which is chit.si. Uh, but if it's going through your demo server, then all the conversations are going through a third party, untrusted ter- third party, I guess. They will be going to, uh, through our server if the client can't establish a direct connection, say, uh, through IPv6 or uh, through... Um, the, the NAT opening technologies yeah. uh, but even if it goes through our server uh, it doesn't matter because it's end-to-end encrypted and you can be sh- uh, sure that it is um, if it, uh, set RDP is enabled and you see this uh, green lock uh, on the call window Okay, and uh, what, for, what sort of type of clients do you have for what operating systems? Uh, well there's uh, Linux obviously but we also do support Windows and Mac Okay, so it's and cross-platform you, And do you have Android clients? There is an Android client, but uh, we don't uh, actively develop it uh, anymore because we simply don't have the resources. Uh, so if you want to hack on it, uh, you are welcome to do so. And what is the code? What license is the code released under? GPL v2 uh, or upwards. Okay. Uh, sorry, LGPL actually. LGPL. Yeah. Okay, that uh, makes it easier. Do you know how accessible Jitsi is? In terms of. In uh, terms of blind users. Or in terms of. Um, uh, blind users wanting to use it to communicate just via audio? Um, I don't think we made specific efforts for it, uh, so um, we try to have uh, shortcuts available uh, so that it's accessible through a uh, keyboard and not just a mouse, but I 
guess with luck kind of uh, there so uh, I wouldn't say it's very accessible okay and if um, some of our uh, blind listeners notice bugs is there a particular we can just log them in the bug tracking system sorry coming in if we notice that there are some accessibility bugs will you uh, address them like normal bugs uh, I guess we would. Uh, if you can address them, we do have the resources for it. But yeah, log them and send us an email or a log a bug. Okay, cool. Um, how would this compare to something like uh, Google Hangouts now? Well, that is what UFRTC video conferences are for. Um, right now, you open meet.chit.si and you're in a video conference. Just distribute the URL you get there to your peers uh, and you have a video conference. Just as simple as that? As simple as that. Okay, and you could uh, pipe it out into Pulse Audio and then stream it on the internet and, and make it streamable? Or? Uh, it, well, anyone that has a browser, uh, Chrome and Chromium at the moment, um, can join in or uh, record it. Uh, even There's even a SIP gateway so that someone from with uh, a phone can call in. Okay, and if I wanted to run all this infrastructure myself, could I do that? Yes, you can. There's packages for Debian around right now. Yeah. Um, you can use our server um, to test it, for example, at meet.chit.si or set up your own. Okay, perfect. Well, um, thank you very much. I don't think I have anything else. Is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners? Yeah, we need help uh, in contributing. So uh, if you're lazy in the evening, join us and uh, help us. So what, what sort of help do you need? Coders or documentation? Or? Uh, everything, uh, basically. Yeah, if you're a Java developer, uh, that helps uh, most for the desktop client. If you're with HTML5, JavaScript, that helps for WebRTC. Okay, and is it possible to run it on something low-powered like a Raspberry Pi, or is that too much? Well, the server, actually, um, that we're running here um, is uh, kind of a small Intel box um, that runs a couple of hundred streams, uh, so it's... Uh, okay. uh, very lightweight on the server uh, side because it's just a selective forwarding unit that doesn't do much processing uh, from server so I guess um, small conferences should actually run on Raspberry Pi uh, I don't know if you have binaries for it uh, available but uh, I think it should be possible Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for the time. And are you going to be doing any other talks or are you stuck here in the booth? There is a talk this afternoon at uh, 2 o'clock in the Java Dev Room, uh, um, Chitsi Video Bridge in Cryptoland. And there's a lightning talk. Uh, I don't know the time now, uh, but also today. Thank you very much for the interview and good thank luck you. with the project. Yeah, thank you. We're talking to XMPP Foundation. And you are? Joachim Lindborg. We spoke last year. I'm sorry? I think we spoke last year. Yes, we did. Uh, but some same thing as I'm here for this year. So it's the second year we're talking about the Internet of Things and the XMPP network. That's really become a big hot topic this year. Very, yes. It's sort of the hottest thing in the world for the moment, saying anything with the Internet of Things. It's the thing. <laughs> yes, it's the thing to put on your CV. So what have you got here? What, what am I looking at? Well, uh, XMPP is a federated messaging network. So the idea and the problem we found is that how do you span all these devices? In your home, you have a refrigerator from Electrolux with an app. You have a heat pump and you have a scale and you have a Fitbit. So why doesn't the house turn on the heat when you're cold with a Fitbit? Well, you need to get the information between all these clouds. And somebody needs to integrate all the APIs. And if somebody were to integrate all the APIs, the business models of the one doing services would be gone. Yes. 
So XMPP, being a federated messaging network, we can let the devices be friends to each other regardless of which businesses they are in or which legacy technology they use. So letting your refrigerator be friend with your Fitbit, closing the door when you're too heavy. That service could be possible. Okay, yes. That's, uh, that's one way of losing weight, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And the explosion of these services that we see on an iPhone is because it's open to do access to the devices and the sensoring. And today, the censoring is not accessible for third-party developers. They are hidden in different APIs, different clouds, and it's impossible to get data between them. It's, it's a combinatory explosion of APIs that needs to be integrated. Yeah, but everybody wants their own APIs because they want to keep everything closed to themselves so that you use their service. Exactly. So how could you create new ones? Yeah, we need the federated discussion language which would be the XML XMPP stands for so what we have created is XML stands as that very thoroughly says I'm writing a temperature to you and it is in Celsius so you know that it is Celsius and you can do something with it and I read a value from another device and I know what it is that is coming and you trust them because you're friends just like instant messenger friends excellent so, have you got any cool devices here that you can show us this well, year? What, what we have is that we have the Philips U lamps locally, uh-huh. and we have a gateway to that. And we have devices for, uh, in my office uh, in Sweden where we have uh, alarm company things, uh, wall plugs, uh, temperature sensors, and so on. So, uh, in that environment, they all look the same. They are JIDs, peoples, on the XMPP network, and you can be friend to them and ask values and write values. And you're from the XMPP Foundation? Yes, I'm part of the XMPP Foundation. Do you work for them full-time? Uh, no, no, uh, just on the part-time. Okay. Uh, but I'm very heavily into this IoT part, which is more or less 10 of the extensions yeah. currently in draft, yeah. or uh, experimental. <laughs> and are they going to be published as an internet standard? They are already published in experimental level yeah. uh, on the XMPP.org. So anyone that would like to use them, it's just to start using them. And if you have comments, do comment. Okay. So you, I'm doing home automation. Do you like have a cool logo that I could go to a vendor and when I'm shopping say, hey, that's XMPP compatible. I definitely want to go with your product. No, not yet. Okay. It would be fascinating to do it. But then you also seem to this having a member group yeah. paying things for certifying them doing the logo stamp and we hope that it would be per automatic saying I have XMPP inside yeah. and doing it here's the logo here's the logo yeah. and it's already there and, and uh, so it would this would be a difference from the organization saying I'm Sigby certified I'm yeah. part of the Sigby I pay 50,000 grand a year to be part of this group yeah. and I don't think we want that Really. Well, you could work on it full time if we're better. Oh, the yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. I would be rich on it. <laughs> so, um, so, have you been making any headway in this? It's been a year. Has any device manufacturer come out and supported XMPP? Well, not on the real device level in services, no. But we have several uh, interested parties. So, the Universal Plug and Play, yeah. 
have now been uh, giving a XMPP spec for getting universal plug-and-play local communication transported over XMPP to other sites. So you could be in your cabin turning your video on in your home over UPnP and the XMPP network. And the next level will be also to go to devices and connect things. So it's just going to be there as a enabling technology and nobody thinks about it because that's what it is. Yes, exactly. So, so there's more, more areas looking at it, but there's no person just going, I have a service. I have a wall plug with XMPP. It's not there, it's not there yet. That's strange, but that's actually what I want. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, is there anything else that I missed? or um, Are you going to be giving talks? Yeah, or on Sunday. I have a talk on Sunday at 3 uh, in the Internet of Things room around the technology and where we are today uh, with the standardization. Okay. okay, thank you very much for the interview. Thank you very much. Alrighty, see you next year. I'm up here at the K building here at FOSTEM 2015 and I've come to the collab.org booth and I'm talking to... Robin Edgar, hi. Hi Robin, what is your relationship with the collab uh, group? <laughs> well, the collab group is uh, based in Switzerland, I'm based in the Netherlands and I'm uh, a partner for the implementation and rollout of collab systems uh, solutions, uh, nice business speak to uh, enterprise customers, but also just an, uh, a proponent of open source and the model that they have. So what is, uh, what is Colab? Colab is a groupware solution um, where basically we do everything Google does, except we allow you to control your own data. We allow you to connect it to whatever you want. So we have email calendaring, to-do lists, um, file management, sort of, yeah, file in the cloud type constructions. Uh, but it's all yours, and you can access it from your mobile phone, your tablet, uh, Mac, Mac machine, whatever OS. is completely agnostic. It plugs into anything. If you want to use it with Outlook, you use it with Outlook. If you want to use the web front end, we have Roundcube. So it's a big ecosystem which you can plug into everything um, and allows you to basically yeah, get away from the prying eyes of, of government and, uh, <laughs> and big business. Okay, so... Um is it using IMAP or is it using Mappy or what's the email? We use uh, an IMAP back backend um, for basically almost as much as well as much as we possibly can. That's almost everything. Uh, obviously, we do use MySQL here and there, um, but yeah, it's ba it's mainly an IMAP database, which also means that you can get off it um, and come into it very easily because all you need is an IMAP sync. Oh, okay, and. Uh, the contacts are kept also using IMAP, or is that something LDAP? Um, the contacts are kept in IMAP, but we can integrate with LDAP uh, for, for you to keep them there. So you don't need to migrate everything when you move to this system. And how was uh, the integration with Outlook, for example? It's very good. There's an active sync integration. Uh, it's an open source written one. Uh, and yeah, basically it works with Outlook. So. And you provide support to, to, to customers for this, for, to companies? Yeah, that's the business model. Uh, the software is completely free, so if you use a hosted version or if you download an enterprise version or a community version, the code is entirely the same. Absolutely. No open core or anything like that? No, there's no freemium bollocks. There's, you know, it's... <laughs> 
Oh no, there goes our uh, <laughs> iTunes rating. Oh dear. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. We're all uh, explicit anyway. Go on. <laughs> No, there's, there's no freemium cripple type stuff. It's all the same code. And what Colab Systems makes their money on is in uh, inter- implementation and support. Okay. So if you want help, um, if you want uh, the, the security of someone being on call and ready to help you whenever something goes wrong or if you have questions, problems, etc., that's the business model. That's where we make the money. Okay. And how, what's your biggest deployment you've got? Our biggest deployment, What's our biggest deployment, largest customer. Biggest, biggest public deployment at the moment is the municipality of Munich in Germany, where we have uh, over 20,000 uh, desktops uh, cross-platform, so it's all Windows and Linux desktops, um, because we have a cross-platform client. And um, that particular instance is, I think they have like 190,000 shared folders in uh, mail, calendar, file hosting, uh, and everything. So you, you're talking multiple terabytes uh, of data. Uh, I think over 16 uh, physical servers running that. Uh, we have bigger deployments, but we cannot talk about that. I'm very sorry. You have to kill me. This deployment has been running for years now. So it's a stable, proven. I thought there was a new mayor over there and all that was going to be thrown out. <laughs> He's been told to not be so anti Linux, hasn't he? He has, <laughs> He's been told off. Um, but the integration with uh, iPads and stuff, is, has that been sorted or is it just your regular old problems that you have with regular old uh, iPads? <laughs> if, you, if you have a problem with the mail client that an iPad has, then you're going to have the same problem. You can always switch to a different mail platform on the iPad. There are alternatives. Um, and if that works better for you, then that'll work better for you. We don't mind which platform you plug into into Colab uh, because it will work. And absolutely everything is is open. And I can just clone it. What, what sort of uh, server would I need in order to run that? A small one. Everything from a Raspberry Pi uh, to uh, a VPS. So I can run from my laptop uh, a, a multi-user implementation without any problem. It's very low resource uh, usage. Why w- so why wouldn't I use this instead of own or instead of own cloud? Are you competing with the two? Own, or own, cloud, oh. own cloud only does uh, file storage, and we have the whole suite. We have the file storage. We also have end-to-end encryption, something that own cloud doesn't have at all. Yeah. Uh, we have the calendar. We have the email. We have to basically the whole group of suites, and own cloud only does a little bit of file uh, sharing. So it, and yeah, from our perspective, there isn't very much of a functional overlap. Okay. And uh, I could replicate this to various different things on the back end yes. using database replication. Did uh, you we, say what the database was? We use Cyrus oh, IMAP server. And if you use oh. Cyrus murder technology, you can run it uh, or scale it horizontally very easily. We, in, in Munich, like I said, we're running multiple server uh, without any custom code. It's, it's entirely the uh, vanilla upstream Cyrus murder. We are a very active contributor to Cyrus, actually. Okay, fantastic stuff. Any new stuff coming through this year that we need to know about? Uh, yeah, well, we are pretty much scaling up the platform because feature-wise, we've got it all. Uh, so basically, we want users to start using it. We want bigger deployments. Uh, we are doing our first Colab Summit this yeah. year, which will be in uh, the 2nd and 3rd of May. Uh, in The Hague, the Netherlands. So uh, we expect a couple of hundred people uh, there 
uh, developing, doing talks and stuff like that. Uh, and basically, yeah, just like I said, the software is there. You can use it. It's free. It's entirely 100% open source. So basically, we are really giving you your privacy back. Just use it. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much for the talk, guys. And uh, I'll have a link to that event in the show notes for this episode. Thank you okay. much. Talk to you later. Good to speak to you. And uh, please do come down to the Collab Summit in May. Be good to see you then. Okay. Your name is? My name is uh, Xavier Boslas. Uh, um, I'm a community manager for Belgium of Dodono Linux Associations. And you're here uh, showing Dudu Linux. Yes. Is that pronounced properly? This is uh, an operating system for children. Yeah. An operating system for children from two years to ten years, okay. based on a Debian distributions, fully modified, uh, and we work activity by activity uh, for the children. Uh, one activity for a game of years, uh, for example, from two years to three years, we, we can learn uh, the mouse, the keyboard and others. We can uh, make association with software. Um, for example, if the mouse go on the left side, you can view uh, a line on the screen to uh, we'll go on the, the left side too, uh, to learn the movement, the association of the movement and the screen. Uh, if a letters yeah. appear on the screen, uh, we have uh, we have let the letters on the on the keyboard. We must push on the keyboard for have uh, the letters uh, on the screen, and uh, the computer grow with the children to arrive in an opera, uh, full and entire operating system with all old activities and all new activities. Uh, we can make games on the Linux. We can uh, work in the Linux. We can go on the internet too. To go on the internet, so we have uh, specific protections. Uh, for example, Dance Guardians and uh, Squid. We are specific for the protections. All is blocked. Uh, for example, Google account is blocked. Facebook account is blocked. And uh, sure, the phone is blocked too. Uh -huh. <laughs> Uh, and then this is uh, this is very an, an anti-operating system, fully secured for the children from two to ten. Okay, very good. And are there many schools running this? Uh, in Belgium, there is only two schools uh, that was running this operating systems. Uh, two two teachers are very, very, very impressive and uh, will like uh, have more a computer. Uh, with this operating system, but they, uh, they don't have any budget for the moment, sorry. <laughs> um, in France, uh, I think there is two schools too that are growing with Dudu Linux. Uh, in the other country, I don't know, I'm sorry. Okay, that's not a problem. And how many developers have you working on this? Uh, we are very poor in developers. Uh, we have only uh, one or two developers, uh, um, one founder and one person for the community management, me. <laughs> okay. And how do you how, how can we help out with the project? Uh, this is very easy. You can contribute at uh, the on the website dudulinux.org, or uh, you can um, come with us for the developments. You can uh, buy uh, uh, goodies. We 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 sell uh, goodies, for example, uh, USB keys or orders. All contributions are welcome for the Dudulinux. For example, we run uh, with Andre. 
140 uh, euro for one year, so this is very poor. Yeah. <laughs> for four persons, this is very, very poor. And this is uh, the time. The time is very important to give time to do the Linux. That's most important. Okay, and if I um, download this and notice that there's some bugs, can I uh, report those bugs and fixes? Sorry, I don't use Can I? Uh, is there a way that I can um, help develop the project yeah. reporting bugs? Of course, of course. You can report bugs, uh, all products or suggestions too, all new uh, new games or new activity uh, on the forum, on the website, on the mailing list. We are open for all, ch- uh, all uh, canal of communication. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much for the interview and uh, good luck with the show. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.